Step right up, ladies and gentlemen and genders of all ranges, and welcome to the Art Pit. Conducted by the Jeremys, a pair of purveyors of fine art and oddities via the best damn dark gallery this side of Long Beach, the Dark Art Emporium. Listen in wonder as we jibber-jabber about all things art, music, movies, and whatever other jive we decide to mosh together. Faint of heart, beware, and welcome to the Art Pit. Do you ever challenge yourself to see what, what extreme thing you can jerk off to? <laughs> I have, actually. <laughs> take, take the challenge. The, the mind isn't a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. You're like, like, how many times can I repeat bathtub girl before it works? Bill's like, the first time. <laughs> I'm going to watch knee surgery and call my mom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going. When you're ready, yeah, well, it sounds like we're already going. Oh yeah, we're rolling. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we are uh, we are in Hyena Gallery right now in Burbank, California. Beautiful today, Burbank, California, and we're hanging out uh, with proprietor operator, Mr. Bill Schaefer. Hello, and Brian Bubonic. Hey, how are you? And, I, am I loud? Uh, I, you know, I hate. I hate really loud. Sorry. <laughs> hey, as loud as you want, motherfucker. Um, and of course, you know, I'm Jeremy Cross. And, and I'm Jeremy Schott. And, uh, you know, we're here repping DAE at the uh, at the Hyena. Um, Bill, how are you? I'm all right. Yeah? yeah? Pandemic and all, but, you know. Hanging in there? Yeah. We're you're, all good. You're looking scruffy. I like it. <laughs> you look good. I'm growing hair in strange places. Yeah. I don't want to know about the other ones. I'm okay with the ones I can see. That's the strangest part, I think. <laughs> and how about you, Bubonic? Doing all right. Yeah, it's. Um, I'm kind of enjoying this a little bit. You know, there's a little bit of the uncertainty that's no fun, but in general, you know, I'm I'm doing okay. Yeah, nothing like a little chaos in the air. Yeah. You know, keep shake things, things up. Interesting, at least. If you know, not scary and terrifying or boring. It's weird, right? Because it's like, it's scary and terrifying and also fucking boring. Yeah, I don't think I've really hit the scary and terrifying part as much as some people. Um, yeah, it's been kind of like, I don't know, I kind of unplugged myself from the news and uh, That's you know, just trying to concentrate on um, doing stuff around the apartment and uh, going out and getting some exercise, but not as much as I should. You know? were doing uh, the exercise videos. You you and the lady were out walking around. Yeah, we were just walking tours, around, right? showing things in Hollywood, going to cemeteries, stuff like that, where there wouldn't be too many people. Now it just seems there's nowhere. Everywhere you go, it's just people. <laughs> even the cemeteries? Have you tried to go the back? The cemeteries are starting to get crowded. They even closed, um, I think, Forest, not Forest Lawn, they, um, Hollywood Forever for a little bit. They closed unless you could prove. Just for a brief moment. And yeah. actually, I tried to go while it was closed as well. And then a friend of mine went the following week. And they were like, we're sorry about that. We misunderstood the direction. And you're totally okay to come back. Right. Yeah, they had to prove you had a loved one there or something like yeah, that for, in order to get in. And the, and the guy at the gate was a real jerk to me. <laughs> Do you get that a lot? Well, I mean, I kind of ask for it, to be fair. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> and Runyon Canyon's right in my backyard, but that's still closed. So that's like it my, is. my go-to place to exercise usually. But I wonder if that'll be part of the whole trails and everything that they're talking about opening um, back up after this Most week. of them they've opened, yeah. but for some reason Runyon, just because it seems people love Runyon Canyon and it's just 
their last time just before they shut it down there were way too many people up there see i hear the name i've never been i hear the name i, I just think of like like uh, like hollywoodites in like spandex pants jogging with martinis i don't i don't know why the little it's, dogs yeah it used dogs. to not be that it was kind of a locals only thing for years and years but now, because of social media and stuff like that, everybody wants their selfies up there, and it's used in TV shows and movies. But before, it was kind of like L.A. secret. And mm. you could walk 10 minutes, and you wouldn't even realize you were in L.A. And then you reach a bend, and then you see the whole skyline. Oh, okay. Well, it's really pretty. Yeah? You've yeah. been up there? Yeah. Doing some hiking, some jogging? When, yeah, when I did that movie, we did a sh- uh, scene up there that she wants me. That makes more sense. And that was the only time I went up there. Yeah. Fuck these people. <laughs> well, fuck walking. Yeah, right? <laughs> I'll run when I'm chased. <laughs> Nobody walks in the lane. Or Burbank or wherever we're talking about. I don't even know where Bunyan Canyon is. Hollywood. It's Hollywood. in Hollywood. Okay. Yeah, Hollywood. yeah. All right. That makes more sense. Goes right up to Mahon Drive. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. All right. So I've driven, driven by it many times. Um, so like I said, we're in, we're in Hyena. We are in... Uh, a place that has been here for, am I am I correct in fourteen years? Fourteen years, right? April first was fourteen. Fourteen yeah. fucking years, man. It's weird. Just madness. Um, I never thought I'd last five. Like that was like the goal was five. Yeah, like, I can oh remember my God. having if we those make it to five. We could just celebrate. Everything's done. And I'm like, oh, I'm still poor. So <laughs> <laughs> gotta keep going. <laughs> so do you wish he'd quit at five? Um, no. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. I love what I do too much, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, Hyena's not really about money for me. It's the, I'm the worst businessman, because, <laughs> like, it, it isn't about money. It's about the art and about meeting these people and interacting with the customers who love the art I love and, you know, promoting the artists that don't get a chance at other galleries. That's so, one thing that <sighs> I've always immensely respected you for is that regardless of the ticket value or the ticket deficit against you you have always had an integrity of vision that is i'm i'm in awe over it i mean because i i get you hungry it's a stubborn stupidity like i i could i could probably be living really really well if i showed whatever's trendy you know and the artists that are guaranteed to sell and but that stuff doesn't interest me and it never has too easy right i don't know like i mean if it's good i like it but like H.R. Geiger, he's fine. He doesn't right. need me. You know? Well, <laughs> like, he doesn't need anybody anymore, to be well, fair. Yeah, I mean, you know, Mark Ryden, he's fine. He really doesn't need me. He's going to sell one painting and live for a year. Um, it's, it's the little guys I like and the unknowns and, like, the Christopher Ulrichs of the world who are these, these geniuses laboring away in their, in their workshops that no one ever sees, and they come out with masterpieces but because they're not on social media constantly, like they don't get the attention and they don't get the sales that they deserve. Right. But true art lovers love that stuff. They see it and they get blown away. Is that the, the vision that you had going into opening this place? Was that always the ideal? Kinda. I, I just want to sell stuff I loved. Yeah. Like I, I come from a music background and, you know, got so many years in, in the music industry. Um, distribution, a small label I worked for, uh, and then 10 years in music retail. And I just got so sick of selling stuff I hated. Like for every Screaming Jay Hawkins album I sold, you sell 20,000 Hootie and the Blowfish. You know, So I wanted to move to LA and open up a store and only sell stuff I loved. 
So tell me about that experience. So yeah. how did it start? You came from <laughs> you, you came from it. Springfield. Yeah, Springfield, fresh, Mass. Fresh faced and and ready to kick ass in in, in L.A. And, and yeah, give us give well, us from, that from Springfield, Mass. I moved to Boston. Okay. And that that's where I went. I was going to go to photography school there originally, because uh, I, I was a, a music major, a classical guitar major, um, in my area, and I, I screwed up my hand really bad and put it through a window and severed three branches of my radial nerve on my right hand. So, you want to tell that story? <laughs> it's not really a great story, but I, I want to hear how you broke um, your hand, man. Well, I, I was I was Make playing classical guitar, sucks. classical guitar major. <laughs> I went to Hoyle Community College. Uh, I had a full tuition scholarship, and I chose Hoyle Community because the guitar teacher there was Phil DeFermery, and he was the number one student of Andre Segovia, and he kind of carried on the Segovia legacy, and I was like, to study under him would just be mind-blowing, and he also taught at Westfield State. So I was going to get my degree at, at Hoyle Community, then transfer to Westfield State and still take lessons from him and get my next degree there, and uh, I was working at Stop and Shop, a grocery store, so I, my life was practice, practice all morning, go to school, go to work, stock shelves, go home and practice for hours. And it's like two in the morning one night, a hot, hot night, and I just wanted to open the window. And there was these old, God, I don't, we don't have those houses out here with the roller, roller windows. Oh, I've, I've lived in those. It's a, it's a yeah. really New England thing, I think. I, I know what you're talking about, though. But uh, so I was trying to open the window. And the roller, the, the, the pulley system got stuck. And my hand kept moving and just up thrust into the window. Oh. Oh. Um, it was a total accident just because I was tired and hot. And then I saw, I'm like, oh, fuck, man. I got to clean this up. I got to clean glass. I just want to go to bed. And I see spurt, spurt, oh. spurt. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I, I basically severed my artery, uh, three branches of my radial nerve. It was like an inch deep into the bone. And I had to go to the emergency room, and it really sucked. And it was on your wrist, your hand? Yeah, yeah, my, my right wrist. Um, so did they think that you were trying to off yourself? or? No, no, no. It, it, was, no. it was very, very clear it was a total accident and, okay. and screwed up my life in a way I didn't want. Because um, I, I now have no feeling in my right hand. Like, it's all just numbness. I had two nerve surgeries. Permanent stranger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And they're just a little more talented than uh, your lefty. <laughs> All right, so so being a musician is now is now not an option. Well, weirdly, after I healed from that, I, I got into the best band. I, I was my favorite band, The Gutters. Oh, okay. It was just a really experimental noise thing. And I answered an ad. They wanted a guitar player who really knew how to play music well, but didn't want to. <laughs> and i'm like i i can play really bad I, I know what i'm doing but i really can't play well anymore let's do it and i was in that band for like four years and is, is any of the gutter stuff available online because i you you've given me gutter, gutter stuff over the years and i love the gutters i think it was a great <laughs> band um the stories of your singer uh oh yeah Adam, often Adam super Rashi. enthralling Insanity. Um, is it like on YouTube or anything? Oh, there's a lot of videos on YouTube of our shows okay. uh, in, in like the Massachusetts area. A German, a German label um, contacted us and put out our demo um, on CD like years and years ago. They, they wanted to buy the rights and we're like, just do it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I can't it. believe anybody cares about this at this point. <laughs> no, it was awesome. And that we have a record great. out that is probably impossible to find unless you're in New England. Yeah, I have a copy somewhere. Nice. <laughs> yeah. 
Pretty sure you gave me a copy over there. But yeah, so from all that nonsense, I, I was like, you know what? I can take. I, can, I still want to do something creative. I, I can take photographs. So I was going to go to New England School of Photography. So I moved up to Boston without having a job or a plan, and uh, found a job at a record store because I had again a, a pretty extensive music background by that time, working working for different places, and. Um, I just worked too well and ended up running the place. Uh, so w we had a chain of, it was seven stores down to five stores at the end. Uh, what year was this? God, this is 95 to 2005. Okay, okay. Uh, CD Spins in Boston, if anyone cares or remembers. It's a cool little like used CD store. Again, we, at the end we had five stores, a big warehouse, uh, pretty good uh, CD uh, resurfacing business that was going on the side too. CD resurfacing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was like the CD cleaners that you. We, we had machines yeah. that would actually sand them down and polish them. So if you scratched your CD to hell because you were irresponsible, we oh, could wow. fix it for a fee. In most cases. I don't um, think I remember people offering that <laughs> service. I remember like the like you could buy your own like CD washers, but I don't remember people offering to actually. Well, clean the them. thing about that it was it was really expensive to do. So what it we, sounds like it. We would end up just buying like pallets of junk CDs and pulling out the best stuff and resurfacing them and selling them for, you know, full price Right at the end. So that that's where the money was in that, if anyone cares. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it was a bunch of wet, messy machines that were kind of annoying. <laughs> Most people listening are like, what the fuck <laughs> yeah, is this? Yeah, well, I don't know what <laughs> not the most interesting story, but we, that's what we did. That's what editing But uh, James from the Dropkick Murphys worked for me. Oh, that's uh, cool. He was in the Ducky Boys at the time, and he was... I researched some CDs for me. Don't mind that noise. That's me <laughs> popping a bottle of whiskey. It sounds terrible, but it's just whiskey. And Dropkick Murphys were his favorite band. And he came in and was like, I got to give my notice. I just joined the Dropkick Murphys and we're going to tour Japan. I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, dude. Awesome. <laughs> I'm like, go for it. And he, I think he's still with the band. like, And hopefully happy because he was a good dude. So how did that come to an end? Um, I was planning on moving to L.A. Like... Like, uh, my wife and I, for years, we've been coming out here on vacation, staying for like two weeks. We had a ton of friends out here, and we've been kind of planning. So I wanted to open an art gallery because I'm an idiot. Yes. Yep. Um, no experience <laughs> doing it, but yep. I just loved art, and I've been collecting it since I was, you know, 16. And I had a lot of artist friends, and I'm like, I can, I want to open a gallery and just show my friends and, like, support the people I love and sell stuff I love. And uh, so I'd been collecting art. And for to come out here, and I, I had no thoughts of representing artists. I just wanted to sell stuff that, so I was buying stuff from artists I love that I was planning on reselling, and you know rare stuff and weird stuff. And then I had a house fire. Oh, wow. <laughs> I remember the house. I remember you telling me about yeah. the house fire. Yes. I lost everything I owned. <sighs> um, it was terrible. We had this massive apartment on the on the third floor of this hill overlooking Revere Beach. Which Revere Beach is, is really disgusting. It's full of needles and, and really terrible people. But the view is beautiful. So we never went to the beach, but we saw it all the time <laughs> from our giant window in our living room. And seven rooms, seven massive rooms on the third floor of this big old Victorian house. 700 bucks a month. In 10 years, our landlord never raised our rent. Oh, God. It was the best place in the world. And the first floor kid was this little, like, deviant... Uh, thug, white thug kid who had gone to prison a few times while we'd lived there, and he got evicted and burned the place down. Oh, shit. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. So then 
I was like, ah, everything I was saving to move to LA with is now gone. So we said, fuck it. Took two years to kind of recoup and moved out here with not, nothing. Not trying to bring a tear to your eye, but like, what's the like? What's something you can remember that you lost in that in that fire that really haunts you still? Oh, my kitty. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah, my Jezebel. She was a good cat. Uh, named after Jean Loves. Yeah, <laughs> Sherry named me. Yeah. Yeah, I had a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she was a good kitty, and she, my weird. Uh, we had a friend staying with us at the time of the fire. It was Marathon Monday in Boston, which is sure a terrible massive. time. But we had a friend who just happened to be in town, like, passing through. And he was in the apartment and saw the flames coming up the side of the building. And he actually grabbed our cat and tried to save her. And she clawed the shit out of him. Oh. She did not like going outside. So he, he showed me his chest. <laughs> like, oh. I felt really bad for him, but he really did try. And he's a good dude. And, like, he even left his own boat. He had a backpack with everything he had. He left it in there trying to save our cat and couldn't do it. And then he called me. Uh, he, he's the one who gave me the call. And I kind of laugh about it now. But I'm at work. I'm, you know, dealing with some nonsense in the CD store. And I get this call. And it's like, Bill, I have to preface this by saying I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> but your house is burning down. Your house is burning down. Holy fuck. Everything's burning. You have to get here now. <laughs> like, does that say more about him or your relationship with him that he had to preface that that way? A little bit of both. Yeah. Because <laughs> it probably would have been my, what did you do? Like, <laughs> Fuck, man. Okay, so tragedy strikes yes. again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Like, you pissed off a gypsy or something. Um, and now what? So the plan is still to come out to, yeah, to L.A.? So- I never changed my plan. I just had a lot less to do it with. Okay. Um, so we, again, we just recouped. We gave our jobs two-year notice. We're like, at this date, we are out of here. You can use us as much as you want until then. Because we, like, she was running her flower shop there in the Prudential Center, and I was running my stores. And I remember I wrote, like, the, the owner of the company, I wrote him a, a book explaining how everything is run. Because he'd been detached from the from the company for a while yeah like these are your good employees these are the ones i'm watching these are why they're good this is who's going to step up for you this is how you treat them and he ignored all that shit <laughs> so it's still in business then is when i know it's yeah, all I w- within a year i think it was all closed down because <laughs> yeah. everyone i said was bad he promoted everyone i said was great they questioned him so we fired him huh? i'm like no they're good because they question because they actually care they're never yeah. questioning like ah whatever but totalitarian leadership didn't really work out. Yeah. And he was, I mean, he was really good to me, the owner. So, um, I can't, I can't say anything bad about him, uh, in that way. I just wish he had listened because I wanted him to keep the stores going because I cared so much about those people that were working there. Like they were my friends, you know, they're my family for like 10 years. But so, so yeah, we just moved out here. Um, stayed with a friend for six for, yeah, six months. Um, five months. And I just got to work and finding a spot. I had like 500 bucks to my name and I did a little bit of fibbing to the landlords. <laughs> it doesn't matter and now. <laughs> a little bit of borrowing, a little bit of uh, taking taken from here to pay this, to figure that out and credit card and made hyena happen. 14 years ago. 14 years ago. A month ago. Yeah. That's crazy. No, my, my first months in Boston were, or in L.A. were just with a Thomas guide. This is before GPS on your phone. And a Thomas guide, I was just cruising all the areas I thought were kind of cool. 
and spending days there looking at foot traffic. Like I, I spent two days across the street at the hotel watching the foot traffic here and seeing, and I, I did research on the store that was here before me. Like I, I'm insane. Cause I, this was eight ball before, right? Eight ball. Yeah. yeah. And they were here for eight years. I'm like, it was okay. kind of a, like a greaser store, like, like a rockabilly clothing yeah. store. So Brian Bubonic, we've heard the backstory for how Bill ended up making hyena happen. And how he ended up here. When did you first meet up with Bill and tell the story of how you slowly oozed your way in? Uh, I first met him when I set fire to his apartment. <laughs> <laughs> and I just needed to make amends somehow. And um, and I wound up here. No, actually, I I um, used to shop at 8-Ball. And I, I came by and saw that eight ball was no longer here. And I was like, Oh, what, what's going on now? Who's this piece of shit? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I came in and I was like, okay, it's kind of a cool, creepy art gallery, but the guy who runs it seems to be pleasant, you know, which, sexy. <laughs> <laughs> which usually isn't the experience with a lot of those places. I'm, I've been to places that kind of deal with, you know, macabre art and, it's standoffish and you can tell it's kind of weird. It's either the people who ran it or still run them, you know, they, they're not social people or they just, they, they're awkward. And I guess a lot of people deal with art have an awkwardness about them and not all of them really can connect with customers. But I found Bill to be, you know, pleasant and, and, and kind of normal. You must have met him on a Tuesday. So weird. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it wasn't what I expected out of it. And at the time, I was working in television post-production. And it was becoming more and more corporate. And they were putting us in cubicles. And it was then the open workspace and the horrible lighting. So it was kind of like doing serious work, but in a grade school atmosphere with like fluorescent lights and just people getting in each other's business and not really enjoying it. And I really wanted to get out of that. So I would come in and occasionally buy something and kind of hint to Bill that he needed help because he was running it all by himself. And at that point he was doing a new exhibit every two weeks. Oh, I remember. Which is oh, just yeah. insanity. Just, it was pure insanity. That is, that is, but that it, is, it's what I had to do to get established. Yeah. Like, I think in three years I, I showed more art than any gallery. In was that, was that just for the first three years? It went a little bit longer. Like I, I was, it was like I four remember, years. I think by uh, the fifth years when I stopped doing that. Like I remember telling you early on, like this is but nuts, dude. It, it's what I had to do to get people in the door. Yeah. Every every other week, I had people like a party. Yeah, and it's just what I needed. And I broke so many so many artists. Oh, like, doing that, you broke so many artists. Like we can get into that in a second, <laughs> but like, holy shit! Like, so so we're talking about. What are we talking about then? We're talking about 26 art shows per year. 24. 24. 24, sorry. I'm, not, I'm drinking. Math, There's whatever. A leap Fuck month. you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So 24 art shows per year. So let's say three years. It's like a thousand art shows. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't understand why he was doing it, but uh, I liked it because you got to see something different every time you came. Every time you came in, there was something completely different. That was always the feedback that I heard. That like every time you came in, every, the place was completely changed. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I thought that was cool. And I just started hinting to him. I was like, you need help. 
And I'd come back a few weeks later, and I was like, you need help? And he's, he's just like, no, I can't, can't do it right now. I was and just it, like, why is this guy flirting with me so heavy? <laughs> like, he's, I, he's really cute, but I'm like, dude, I'm married. Like, And I just really wanted to get out of my situation, so I kept chipping away at him. And finally, I, I came in one day, and he was looking kind of uh, <laughs> pale that day. And uh, he said, I need help. And I was like, oh, okay. You must have got him on a Tuesday. You know? <laughs> I was like, wait, when do you want me to come in? So it was about 10 years ago now, I think. Yeah, it seems right. Yeah, it's about a decade now. So this was right at the tail end of the every two week situation. Yeah, yeah. Did think, you talk him out of that? I think maybe I had a little influence on that, but I think, you know. Well, it was me trying, I think, to, to just get more of a hold on things. and Your anxiety maybe, had maybe, to be off the charts. Maybe have some downtime. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I worked I worked for four years without a day off. Like I was in holidays, Christmas, I was here, and I had business. Thanksgiving, I was here. Like, if there was a chance that someone might come in, I was here. Yeah. And you know, after after four years of that, you're like, wow, this is. I, I just need to stop. <laughs> and that's when when he was coming around, and God, I think you you were buying good art too. I loved I loved what he was buying. He bought like a Kepi Gooley piece. Yeah, from when, me when I first started collecting art it wasn't by design but it turned out that the majority of the artwork i owned at that time was made by musicians so i decided that that was kind of going to be the 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 direction i wanted to take my collection so kebby Gooley being a good example yeah. but who else i have like dd ramon uh daniel johnston dd made art yeah dd oh, was yeah. painting when, he, when he lived out art. here i have two dd paintings you were supposed how to are they him. um be honest kind of kind of weird and he did a lot of collaborations okay so i think sometimes like he would paint the background and his wife would paint the characters okay and then sometimes he he worked with some la street artist so it i never got the real solid answer on who did what in his work but he was making some smart choices as far as the collaborations go yeah it was like, fun yeah. i mean it was really really kind of um crude but with some street influence. And whenever I'd, I'd meet him on the street, he lived right in my neighborhood, he would talk to you like he knew you all your life. And then um, he'd be dropping names, just first names of people like you knew everyone in his circle. And then he would kind of look around and go, okay, I got to go now. And he would just leave. And that's, that's what it says <laughs> on his tombstone. Yeah, uh, okay, I got to... Because that was kind of a catchphrase with him. But yeah, I just... I saw him walking down Highland one day in Hollywood, and I was just like, it was like Jesus Christ walking down the street. Sure. And I was just like, holy shit, that's, that's Didi. And I stopped him, and he was friendly. He took the time to talk to me. He told me why he moved to L.A. and just what he was doing. And um, I was like, oh. And then he had a show at Dark Delicacies um, no where he did a book signing, and he was selling art. So I bought a small piece from him at that, and it's called um, The Horror Ballet. Good name. And it's a woman dancing on stage, and the audience is filled with cats. So that, that's a small, like an 11 by 14 piece that I, that I got from him. And then later I got one of um, a self-portrait of him checking into the Chelsea Hotel, and the the person behind the desk is uh, is Satan. <laughs> that's and, cute. And that's a big piece that's painted on a piece of cardboard. So so who else? Who else are the musicians that? They, uh, John Langford from the Mekons. 
I okay. have a piece by him. I don't know who that is at all. Um, they're, he's Welsh, and they're kind of a alt-country thing. He, he's in so many projects. Sounds like I'd like it, though. Uh, like yeah, he's great, yeah. and his paintings are fantastic. He paints a lot of um, uh, characters from country music and Americana, and he's kind of gotten more into that music style himself. See, this makes perfect sense, knowing you, that music drew you to art. Is music is like when I think of you, I think of somebody who knows way more about music than anybody I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've I could fill books with all the things I've forgotten. That's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like my I just my my memory is is for shit most of and the, the time. people you've met. You could fill volumes with just the people you forgot but that you've met. Just <laughs> by living in L.A. for so long, it's just how it, long have you been? That's here? how it happens. I moved here in 1991. Where were you before that? Uh, I lived for a couple of years in Chicago when I was going to school there. I went to film school in Chicago for a couple of years and then dropped out. But I'm originally from the Philadelphia area. So. Oh, Philly boy. Yeah. I didn't know that you were from Philly. Yeah. I don't think we've ever had that conversation. Yeah. yeah. Originally born in Philly, raised in South Jersey, <sighs> then spent some of my adult life in, in Center City. So you come in, Bill doesn't suck. <laughs> well. <laughs> at least at least not, not that, that time for money not that day that's how you got the job <laughs> and uh and you, you 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 keep coming around you keep asking me finally he says yes i need help what happens next well i I'd quit my job because i'd run out of vacation time and i had plans on going to france and spain for about a month and i didn't want to come back owing the company any vacation time and any back time right. so i just quit the job with one week's notice and i've been broke ever since uh, <laughs> it really was not a I good choice i don't pay well <laughs> we never do. um and then after that um i decided to just hop in my car and drive around the southwest for about a month by myself um the only plan i had was i had to go to a friend's wedding in tempe arizona so that was kind of the impetus of the whole trip and then I just drove around and slept in the car and drank a whole lot and went on weird adventures. And then every once in a while, we'd uh, stay in a hotel or sleep in a national park. Weird adventures are easy to have in the desert. Um, getting really, really drunk in a um, in a in a um, a brew pub, and then a, a drum circle broke out. And it really As wasn't my thing. Uh, yeah, it was. It was in kind of the hippie area of of, um, of Arizona. Um, I I don't remember exactly where it was. So I I ditched the um, the drum circle, but I was definitely too drunk to drive. So I pulled off the side of the road into a median strip that was um, just dirt, and I fell asleep there for a little bit. But then I cracked the window and all of these spiders climbed in my car. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I don't know if it was in my head or if it actually happened. Drunk so, doesn't usually make spiders from nowhere. Yeah, so. well, I don't maybe DTs, you know, you see them on your leg and you brush them off. It's you usually know, something it's, else, uh, I'm just the saying. The creepy crawlers. Yeah, maybe I would slip something in the drum circle. Who knows? I mean, you were near a drum circle. Yeah. Like, the psychedelics are just like, they, they, they like sweat out at that point. Yeah. yeah. 
it's kind of the the area where you go and have your aura photographed and stuff like that. I mean, oh yeah, it really yeah. wasn't my scene, but that that was like I'm just enjoying the brew pub and then a drum circle. Yeah, you accidentally up. licked somebody. And... Yeah, that's possible. <laughs> so my reaction to all these white spiders climbing into my my white car. White spiders, no less. Yeah. Why is that worse? I I don't know, and and thousands <laughs> of them. My reaction was to take all my clothes off and take a bunch of self-portraits, like long, long exposure self-portraits um, with a f- wearing nothing but uh, hiking shoes and one of those head flashlights. So uh, I get I get some of these pictures, right? Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah, I can send you some. Yeah. Because like, we, we might have to do some photo montage follow up. <laughs> I think that should just be our answer for every problem. <laughs> I think we're, I think we're learning now. Yeah, I, I was completely freaked out by the spiders. But for some reason, that was the natural thing for me to do at the time. And this is literally on a median strip of a freeway. So you at no point you're thinking that you got dosed. No, no, I didn't. I just I, I was pretty sure that the spiders were real. I think we need to spend like two hours with just Brian. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got so many great stories. He's shared so many with me over the I, I love I love all the desert stories because all of your great stories seem to spawn from the desert. Well, we spend a lot of time there, mostly yeah. mostly Death Valley. Um, that's where I got married. and um, But we go to Joshua Tree because it's half the distance. So. All right. So I'm, I'm going to pull it back in. Yeah. I'm gonna, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rein us back in here for a second because that's fun as hell, but... <laughs> Yeah, sorry to go on such a tangent, but uh, yeah, eventually I, I, I started working here and then I would look at art and go like, oh, Clint Carney's a musician. I can buy art from him. Oh, there you go. So yeah. you found a way to justify yeah, the inclusion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I could continue to buy because, I mean, I love dark art. I grew up with horror films. All that influences in my head. I love you know, bands like the cramps are one of my favorite bands. As so they it should all, be. It, it all ties in. It all, it all in my head, all, it all ties in. No, I, I completely agree. It makes uh, sense. I grew up with comic books too, which is weird because hyenas right next to a comic shop. I thought this was a comic book shop. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, uh, well, just uh, like the dark card Emporium's a tattoo parlor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's odd. We don't get the crossover because in my head, it all, it all is part of popular culture. And um, we're in Burbank. Universal's up the street. That's where horror in yeah, the, the classic pop Universal, pop, yeah. in the pop culture sensibility. Frankenstein's monster looks like Boris Karloff because of Universal and because Jack right. Pierce. You know, we're unless in you're me, and then he looks like Bernie fucking writes into him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so it all it all ties in, and yeah, I eventually would say, well, this person is a musician. I could buy their art, but eventually I started breaking my rules and saying, okay, you know, this is just art I can really appreciate. And my wife will have on the walls as well. We have similar sensibilities. So let's fast forward a moment. Okay. So you went from music head, transitioning that into somewhat of an art head, as, a, as far as a collector goes. You're working with Hyena. And then, if I'm mistaken, correct me, but your very first time actually making art and putting it on the wall was with the Charlie Sheen exhibit. Yeah. Yeah, that was, it was, was the yeah, guy from no, no, that was, oh. the, the Sheen was the first time. She, the, the, it was the okay. Tony the Tiger? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was Tony, Tony had visited the Plasma Center one too many times and he was all emaciated and he had kind of meth teeth. And so how, what made you decide to actually want to start making the work? Um, 
I know you haven't made a lot over the years, but like, no, no, I, it's a leap of some sort. He's actually a really good photographer. Okay, like I didn't I, know that. I love it. I love his pics. That was like, my minor in school was still yeah. photography. I don't. So, I mean, he has I ever... this creative thing. Yeah, I'm, it's... I'm your cheerleader right now. Like, <laughs> but no, but he, he just... Bill's always in your corner, no matter who you are. I love it. I grew up in a pretty big family. I'm one of six, and my brother, who's closest to age to me, uh, is an illustrator, and he has that ability to take something from his mind and put it on my on paper, and I have that hurdle. Like I can visualize something, I can come up with a concept, but to actually execute it does not work for me. And so I'm a frustrated artist. And I find that if I can't make something in one or two sittings, I'm not going to do Fuck it. it. I'm not yeah. going to do it. I have so many unfinished paintings at home because it's just, I could not, I could not get it through or it wasn't, it wasn't coming out the way I wanted it to. And I went through this weird period where I was painting portraits of murderers and they all began to look like me. <laughs> it didn't matter who it was. It, 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 could, it could be Ed Gein. Oh, shit. And then I'd look at it and I'm like, no, that's me. That doesn't mean anything, I'm sure. <laughs> I, was, I was painting Charles Manson on a piece of metal that I found in Death Valley. And it started looking like me. So I stopped those paintings. So, yeah, I have a lot of these blocks. That's for, why you stopped them is because yeah, they all look yeah, like Yeah, they you. started to look like me. How did that make you feel, though? Um, it creeped me out a little bit, but can, then I was just I like, can, can like, I not? Did, did, can did, I, can could, I you couldn't stop yourself from making that happen, though? I don't think so. And it was Do you funny. think you wanted to make that happen? No. I I'm, not, I'm, not saying, <laughs> I'm not trying to put you on the couch here, but, like, <laughs> there's no, a lot in there. I, was I didn't never, know this. I wasn't I'm like... My eyes are bugging out. Like, I had no idea. I wasn't looking You've in never the mirror seen these. for reference no. or anything. I Sorry, them. I don't mean to interrupt you, but the fact that Bill's never seen these is fucking weird. I yeah. think you have your next show. I've though. never heard this story. <laughs> well, they're, they're unfinished. They're really rough. Although the, the piece I painted on metal, I put away for a long time, and then I pulled that out, and I was like, oh, this is a finished painting. I like it kind of in this state because it's kind of ghostly. And You know, you know what's going to be funny is you're going to show these to us because you're going to show these to us <laughs> and they're not going to look anything like you. Probably not. <laughs> well, well when, I, when I was a teenager, I, I used to do a graffiti tag and it was based on a toy called Hugo Man of a Thousand Faces, which was this uh, creepy plastic doll that you could put in disguises. So he had wigs and mustaches and glasses and eye patches. But I'm sure he, Nicholas Caesar has 12 of them. He has one. Uh, he, he, he might. <laughs> so I used to do this tag, and I can remember like in yearbooks in high school, I drew Hugo in everybody's yearbook. And in the high school parking lot, I, I painted like a 20-foot tall one in spray paint. So Hugo was this tag I'd always, I always did. And about 10 years after that, my brother asked me if I realized that Hugo was a self-portrait. <laughs> because I began to look like this creepy doll. So this is full on psychosis. Like <laughs> it, it's repeated itself enough times that it's it's pattern deep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm gonna cry. <laughs> this is amazing. This is so beautiful. <laughs> this is amazing. So anyway, if we want to jump to the whole Sheen thing, um, <laughs> Sheen who? <laughs> the, the Charlie Sheen exhibit. Um, Bill came up with that because it was at the height of Charlie when he was spouting off the crazy. Yeah, the tiger's all blood. The, all this yeah. winning. And I came in one day and Bill said, "We're gonna do a Sheen exhibit," and I was like, "Oh, that is like." 
pandering. That is like lowest common denominator. Like, come on. And then, I was, and then he was like, let's do it before someone else does. But no, it wasn't. It was <laughs> the, the whole thing with that is I had this heavy show planned. This was the Hyena 10 year anniversary. And I had this really dark, heavy show. And it was a lot of work. And I'm like, man, sorry, I just want to have fun. And I'd been laughing about Charlie Sheen like through this whole time. I can attest to this. We're talking months before this decision was made. Every time you talk to Bill, <laughs> Charlie Sheen came up in either reference or directly in conversation. Like, you were fully obsessed. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. Like, this is the funniest thing in Hollywood I've ever witnessed. Like, I think that you actually, uh, at one point, were like, he's like Kaufman or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and, so I decided, you know, fuck it. Let's do a Charlie Sheen show. So I started calling artists. And they're like, Bill, I'm already making a piece because you've been, you've been torturing me with this. I was going to make a piece and send it to you. I'm like, no, no, save it. Let's do this. So it came together in two weeks. And it was so fast. It, what? it wasn't like a lowest common denominator. I mean, it yeah, was, but well, that's, that's, it was that's in, my, in my comfort zone of what I think is tolerable. But the artist that you chose but, too, like you kept it super outsider lowbrow. Oh well, yeah. Like you didn't, you, you didn't bring anybody in that was going to do a masterpiece of Charlie Sheen, like, like a traditional portraiture or anything. It was all comically parody based. The pieces weren't kind. Like no, they were, they were all over the place. They Which, were weird. But we also didn't know that Charlie was going to come in and see them. I know. So let's talk a little bit about that. I can, I can play you. I can play you his message. I have it on the answering machine. Oh, I know. His message to us. Um, I don't, you I played, I played it, it for, for me. But I, I haven't played it for more than like a few people. But I Maybe you send us the soundbite of it. We can add it in. Okay. Yeah. Can, I, can I just jump in one real little thing? Is no. what, what sold me on the idea was Bill said, look, he's, he's doing all this crazy shit. And he, he got called out on it, but he's not doing what every other celebrity would be told to he's do not and do damage control. Yeah. He's owning up to it. And he's saying, yes, this is me. And yes, I do drugs and I like doing drugs. Yeah. More than owning and, up to it. He just owned it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then I started thinking of it that way. And I, and I went home that day and started painting. <laughs> well, your piece oh. obviously was great because like. That's the piece I remember from that show. Oh, thanks. Is your piece. Like, even more, I don't even remember what my piece looked like from that show. <laughs> I remember yours. Thank you. Seriously, I don't remember any other piece but his. Um, That's really funny, is that this is before I knew you guys, but I was on TMZ with Charlie Sheen while all this shit was happening because he was in that movie that I produce. Oh, that's right. And I share an executive producer credit with Charlie Sheen. Oh, that's perfect. On this film. So he showed up right after he'd uh, locked that girl in the closet for stealing his watch. Uh-huh. He'd hired a pl- private plane to fly him here to, to be in the movie right down the street from Hyena. And we had to put up tarps and shit because I was shaking his hand and TMZ and all the reporters are out. And he was a super cool dude. Yeah, he was amazing. To he us. is such a nice guy. He, he saved this gallery. I don't like, doubt. Yeah. Like the ten year was kind of like a make it or break it year, and he he saved this gallery. He, well, he bought he the entire show. Bought the entire show, and then over the years, he kept sending people here. Like when he was doing anger management, he was sending like the cr- people to come buy shit for the crew. 
Um, he commissioned Bonner to to do a, a bust of him for a prop on the show. Like, yeah, he's like, a, he was so cool he, he with us. Was too. really loyal. Yeah, like, <laughs> to this stupid little art gallery in Burbank. He, we we produced this like tiny little yeah. film, and he had so much fun. He just gave us money and like make me an executive producer because you can't list me as an actor because of right. his contract or whatever. Like, he's really cool. I, I really regret that I was not able to be here when he came to the gallery. <laughs> uh, well, no one was. It was it was like it was, a late at night. It was night. just you, right? It was me and Jenna. Oh, Jenna. Okay. Jenna was here. Um, she was she was helping me out through it. Um, we we papered up the windows. He came with the the two goddesses and the owl. The owl was his security, like Masai Who's the guy. Owl? It was this Israeli uh, elite security force officer. The owl. Is that how he was introduced? He's great. That's so amazing. Charlie was so cool. And, man, it was just fun. We came in here, we shot the shit for a while, and then he was like, uh, all right, I want to film this piece. Can I ask everyone to leave except for my camera guy? I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And he he basically did an improv piece where he talked to each piece of art and filmed it. Every one of them. Everyone. And it was off the top of his head. It was like 15 minutes, it was done. And it's hysterical. It's so fucking. Did funny. you ever release the whole thing? I can't. Yeah, you um, released little tiny bits of it, right? Well, we 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 signed a, a contract saying it was supposed to be on a, a documentary. They were when he was doing the Torpedoes of Truth tour. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, they were gonna put it in that because this was happening. Like our opening night was his first night in Detroit, which he bombed at. Yeah, because everyone bombs in Detroit. So. <laughs> Detroit. But he also had no plan. He didn't know what he was doing. He was just gonna wing it. And then his next night did better, and he did better. But so we, we planned it in tandem, um, not never knowing he would actually come. And he, you know, when when I planned the opening, but um, so we filmed this whole thing. We he filmed it so we could play it at opening night, and then we weren't ever supposed to play it again. How did the opening go? That was fantastic. Great crowd, but it, it was weird because somebody called the news and the police and said Charlie Sheen was going to be here. So the police came, and they thought there were going to be riots. And what? Why and, would there be riots? Because they thought Sheen would be here, and it was like in the middle of Sheen mania. Oh, that's right, yeah. But I had to explain, like, no, no, he's in Detroit. Like, this, <laughs> he has the opening of his one-man show tonight. We're doing this in conjunction with that. It's a big Sheen, yay. And the police like, were just like, well, if there's any problems, we're going we're gonna to have uh, some words with you. I'm like, I'm like, dude, there's never a problem here. Like, we're... We've blown plumes of fire 50 feet in the air in the oh, street. Oh, I was like, there for that. <laughs> and, yep. and never had a problem. You know, it's like, shit happens here. It's weird, but it's fun. It's it's funny because the shit that goes on on the sidewalk in front of Hyena <laughs> is usually way weirder That's... than anything happening behind the doors. I had a, a dude, um, Sterling, this Dr. Death, uh, chop a watermelon in half off his lady's back with a flaming samurai sword. That's right. I remember that. <laughs> so, yep. so, like, that Sheen thing was all right. Like, yeah, the cops still cruised around a few yeah, times just yeah, they to kept check cruising. on us. And we didn't know what to expect. So the, the we, news we kind of had some people that try to control the crowd because we really didn't know what was going to happen. And it was totally manageable. It wasn't insanity. I had Kevin Clem um, here as security. He was my door guy. Like, one of the only times I've ever had a door gag. He's a big, beefy fucker. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Corpse maker. He's also the sweetest guy I've ever met, so and I don't know that the, I counted him to actually hurt somebody. The best barbecue, too. Oh, my God. Fuck. Scotch, cigars, and barbecue. That's what Amen. I think of when I think of Kevin. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, I miss that dude so much. H- hanging at his place in his library, sipping some scotch. Man, those are good times. I, I really miss that dude. For, for those of you who don't know who he is, um, he was a prop maker uh, who did these amazing corpse pieces. My favorite of which would be these sort of fleshy-looking, dried-up corpses with lights in the rib cage that would hang like chandeliers. Uh, gorgeous stuff. Anyway, I, I digress. But, yeah. So let's talk about a little bit about the evolution yeah, I, of I, hyena. If I can pipe in, like, what I'm curious about is when you started the gallery, like, what was the gallery scene in L.A. like versus, like, what you were doing here? Like, okay, like, your inspiration <laughs> and, you know, like, I know you wanted to show the stuff that you liked, but, like... When, when I started, no one was showing what I what I show. Um, all the bigger galleries had told artists, um, "We don't do monster art. We don't do that stuff." It was the it was the big eye trend. It was when like Crayola was huge, uh, Mark Ryden was huge, like that. That's what they were showing. They were showing all the just the main like Liz McGrath was huge, and these are, these are dark artists I love, but they weren't considered dark art at the time. They were just money for the galleries because they always would sell they were pop art yeah i mean i I love these artists but i do too um, but but they became pop art not not because of the content but because of what way the galleries presented them yes 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 but but no one was showing what i showed like and like la luz wasn't showing it copro at the time wasn't showing it copro has a great history of showing darker stuff but again at the time they were they were telling these these galleries were saying we we don't show that we don't show Monster art. It was relegated to October. Halloween shows where every artist got an invite to every gallery. Oh my God, this is your month to shine. And my, my whole thing was like, fuck man, like you're a real artist. You don't deserve one month. You deserve the whole year. Like we can show your art all year round because you're more than just a Halloween artist. Which is why I, I actually have issues with Halloween because of a lot of that stuff. Like when, when I was a kid, if I wanted to dress up as Batman, I'd just fucking do it. I'd dress up as Batman and run around the yard. Like, so you don't like nice. Halloween? I, I really don't. Because um, I just did what I wanted whenever I wanted to do it. <laughs> to have one one month of the year saying, this is the spooky month. I'm like, no, fuck that. Every month can be the spooky month. So is it the legitimization of the spooky culture during that finite moment? I, I hated the definition yeah. of, of, of you are only valued during this time right and what you care about is only valued during this time and i'm like no 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 this is this is how i live like, i gotta say that as an artist who does darker weird shit until recently like around september august i would get a myriad of just a bombardment yeah. of invitations for october shows but that is slowing down good and I'm getting more invitations <laughs> for other months. I don't know. I was just I, hoping you weren't showing. <laughs> <laughs> that that may be the case, but <laughs> no. But that's the way it should be. And I noticed over the years, like I showed, I, I, this may be vanity, but I think I showed LA that this art is viable all year round. Like people care about it, people like it, and we can celebrate it all year round. So over the years, like five year mark, seven year mark, I've seen more galleries bring this in like La Luz now shows it Copro shows like some of the best dark art shows um like I, I love those cats yeah and, you know oh, Dark Art Emporium yeah shows some pretty great stuff too we try <laughs> yeah Gary and Erica are awesome 
but um, I guess I guess that leads me into the question that I'm always asked too, like when I do interviews and stuff. Like, so what draws you to this? Like, why, why dark art, horror art, monster art? Like, like why? Like, is it just like, like versus uh, you know Andy Warhol's? Because you were you were kind of a big outsider proponent. Oh, I, I'm I'm still I love outsider. I like anything that makes me feel. Yeah. Like uh, we were talking about music art. Like I, Brian actually helped me get my first Wesley Willis piece, and like oh, Daniel Johnston. Like Daniel Johnston's one of my favorite artists. Agreed. Because yeah. I, I just see his stuff and it's so honest. I like honesty, and I think in the dark art culture, there's more honesty in the art. You don't think there's any pandering? Oh, of course there is. But you yeah. can you can see it yeah. when when it's there. You can see it. But in in the traditional art galleries, you can see they're just they're making something to sell, and it, the only purpose of this art is to sell to someone with a lot of money. And, you know, I'm selling $50 pieces, $200 pieces, $400 pieces. This isn't blue chip art. This is, if you're buying this, it's because you're connecting with it. Yeah. And and that, to me, is the best art. Agreed. I agree. Yeah, totally. Yeah, if it doesn't make you feel something, then what's the point? Yeah, yeah. I, I, have, I have collectors who have really expensive pieces in their collection, like $20,000 pieces, $40,000 pieces. And a Nicholas Caesar. Hanging next to, like, a $100 Nick Caesar. Yeah, yeah. And it's because they like it. Because it's great. Yes. Next to a cross. Oh, well. <laughs> well, I think, well. I think by keeping everything affordable, we've gotten so many people to buy their first art that spawns a collection. Um, I, I've had customers come in and take art off the wall to bring to pay for. And that's, and that's kind of yeah yeah it's kind of, <laughs> it actually first, makes me first, go Aw. at first i'm a little freaked out by it and then i'm like don't you know how and then i'm going yeah maybe it doesn't have to You're be like, so that's precious okay. and that's the way this thing works in their mind it's like yeah and it's like but okay. it's also a very visceral response like oh my god i want this and they pop it right off the wall right like i need to have this it is kind of awesome it's like my heart would jump but like you said like yeah but at the same time i'd probably be like that makes sense yeah I, I get why that is okay for you to do that, and I'm not going to browbeat you for it. Right, and we're not one of those. Just, you're just living with that emotion of, of how much that reacted to you. Yeah, we're not, we're not a precious gallery best. where yeah. there's 12 pieces of art on the wall and nothing else in a Spartan environment, as you can see. And one person, <laughs> one person at a desk that's ignoring you. Yeah, yeah. That, that is updating their Facebook and wondering, you know, when is, when, when is 5 o'clock going to hit? So... Let's talk about the evolution of Hyena Gallery. So, where were you? Where was your head at at the beginning? And how? And has has it changed at all to where you're at now? And what does that look like? Because <laughs> I know that hyena. What a hard question. Though. I know that hyena itself <sighs> has changed. Like you've gone through different evolutions as a gallery. <sighs> But the core sentiment has remained the same as far as an outsider perspective. Well, when I first started, I was, I was all gung-ho. There are no limits. Everything is possible. Like, I, I'd opened seven stores in Boston. Like, I know how to open a, a, a store. And then I know retail. I know how to make shit work. And, you know, with, with the gallery, the hardest thing for me was to realize this is all on me. Like, I'm the only one responsible for everything. I'm the janitor, I'm the curator, I'm the, the marketer. Like, I am everything. Whereas in the past, I'd always had, you know, a manager of my store. I had the boss. I could, like, the owner, I could, like, 
call in when I need extra funds. Like, hey, we need, we need, we need some stuff here because I have a project I want to do. So give me like five grand. And I, I didn't have that here. So everything here has been by the skin of my teeth, but I still felt there were no limits. And then, like two years in, um, we had we had an incident where I was going to show one of my favorite artists ever, Stu Mead. Oh shit! Like I know you remember this. Oh, I remember this very viscerally. Uh, Stu Mead is is uh, an outsider artist who does very sexual cartoon drawings of possibly adolescents, uh, but his work is amazing. It's really just brilliant. And he actually left the country because of the Mike Diana case. Yep. Uh, Mike Diana, who got uh, persecuted for drawing naughty, naughty art in Florida and got jailed for it. The only, the only, there was a pedophile argument involved. There was, but it wasn't pedophile art at no. all. Uh, Stu, Stu, um, if, if you know him as a person and you care to do like a fucking two minute Wikipedia search, You'll see this. This man was born with a disease, and he's very frail. And hit, with his art, he likes to take the concept of fine art and pervert it to make people as uncomfortable as he is all the time. And he he paints these sexual situations with young-looking women, but they're all cartoons. This is all cartoons. So there's no real people. Like how how old is a cartoon? You know, right? Yeah. Like it, how it's old goofy. It's weird, like Tom and Jerry, but. But he makes these sexual situations, and there's always like a weak man and a strong. But the women are always really strong. These young girls in these power situations always have the control, and it's because that's true. I never actually thought about this. His work is, that this way. is what his work yeah. is. It's a reflection of himself as an artist, which is the purest form of art. He's showing himself in his art. Like he feels inferior. He's pr- he's promoting these these women as goddesses in his world, in his cartoon world. Anyway, uh, look it up. He's brilliant. But I had these... He's in this, France now, yeah? Uh, Germany. Germany. Berlin. Um, he, he was like, if this guy's going to jail for his art, I don't want to wait till they get to me. I'm going to go to Berlin like, right. and live there forever. And he's such a sweet dude. Like, I love the man. I've done two shows with him. They both have sold out. Uh, they were the only shows on U.S. soil in the last 15 years. The backlash, though. Jesus oh, Christ. Oh, the backlash. I, I had a group of artists that I'd been showing regularly for two years that... Just turned on me. They were like, so these were these were loyal, regularly showing in the gallery uh, people, artists, people who supported I loved, you and people you supported them. I loved them. who I thought were friends, and they turned on you because of this that, show. That I had I had actually helped make help help them with their art careers. Like right. I'm like, we're we're gonna sell your art regularly every month, and they were like, you can't show this. I'm like, no, no, I can show this. It's like it's my gallery. This is. Stu, I Stu can me. do what the fuck I want. Like when I, when I opened the gallery, I had a list of ten artists. And I'm like. If I can show all of these artists, I'll made it. And Stu was like number two on my list of artists. Like I love him so much. Wait, who was number one then? Uh, me. Nah. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm BS. not. I'm not, not going to tell BS. my list. I'm not going to tell my list. <laughs> but right, like right. seriously, like he was number two on my list of like when I just jotted down like these are the most important artists to me and what I care about. And they were like, you can't do this. And they they called the police on me. They reported oh, yeah. they reported the show for child pornography. They oh, wow. they went to several news outlets and tried to get him and, shut down, and and none of it was true. Like, like I handled it as responsibly as I could because I I wanted to highlight the art, and and show this is important. This is an important artist, important work, um, and man, but the betrayal factor was so terrible. I almost quit. I was like, fuck this. If if I spent two years helping these people and they're gonna do this to me, 
Why should I even bother? What was... Okay, so immediately after the Stu show, you asked me to curate a show. No, no. First of all, the Stu show ended up being one of the best things to happen to me because the LA Weekly... Um, I forget the writer's name right now, and I'm really sorry. But he wrote an article on... He was writing an article on Lowbrow and covered like all the big galleries. And it's like, but none of that is important when you look at what Hyena is doing. This is what they're doing. And had this like 10 paragraph thing about our Stu Mead show and how important it was. And that helped so fucking much. Oh, that's awesome. I remember that as well. Yeah. But I had, to, I had, um, one of the artists was set for a major show right after that mm. and I had to cancel it. So, so Jeremy, I, you volunteered. Yeah. Like you, you saw, I was like, I was going to run into traffic. I was so like betrayal hits what, me. What, what, what did so I title hard. it? Something lemmings. <laughs> Lemming, when life hands you lemmings. When life hands you lemmings. But but I was going to run into traffic. I, I just couldn't take this betrayal by people I really cared about, yeah, this sucks. who I thought were on my side. Like I'm, sh- no gallery in LA is showing you, and I'm showing you, and then you're trying to control what I do. Yeah. Like no, I'm giving you freedom. You should allow me the same freedom. Now the beauty of what comes out of this is the respect level of hyena jumps up in the community. Oh. The artists that are causing all this bullshit, and it's like three artists, to be real. It's it's these three artists that are all connected. I think they were like a trio of lovers or something. Um, I believe that's true. Huh? <laughs> I believe that's yeah, true. Uh, so, it was like the most immoral yeah, place to stand on a moral ground. Like yeah, It was weird. It was like some wife cheating on her husband with another... Anyway, whatever. Allegedly. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I said like. <laughs> <laughs> to this day... My knowledge, they don't show and work in LA anymore. Uh, I don't pay attention to them, so I don't know. I really I, don't. Well, I, I, like, I, I when pay, someone when someone betrays me, they're shows, dead to me. I pay attention to galleries. I pay attention to what's going on in the community. I don't see their names anywhere. So, if you ask me, they shot themselves in the foot really hard by snubbing you. Yeah, well, what? I, I don't even understand it. Like, again, it. it it's like you think people understand who you are, and then. They well, just... I think like as a like a owner and a curator of a gallery as well. Like, like part of what hyena inspires me is the fact that like there's no fucking rules. Like you can do anything fearless, you want. Right? Yes. Yeah, it's fearless. Like you can do anything. Like you can have people chopping up watermelons on the side of the street <laughs> and call it art. Like. That's what, we didn't that's, call it art. We yeah. called it fun. Well, like, yeah, well, it was fun too. But like, that's why if hy- he if he'd actually cut her back, it would have been. Uh, hard. She would have liked that too. But that's what hyena means to me. Is uh, like, there's no rules, and you can you can do anything here. I like, feel like that's fair. Like like a gallery is a safe space to do anything you want, and it's really shitty when an artist who you're giving that safe safe space to stabs you in the back. If there's anything yeah. that I would say about Bill, like if you gave me one word. To describe Bill, it would be fearless. <laughs> but stupid. Like <laughs> the other, the other, the other, the backside of that is—it's it's stupidity, it's man. Like smart. my whole life is based on stupidity. I'm like, too stupid to know better. Like, but God bless you for it, man. Because <laughs> you know what? If you had been too smart for your own good, maybe you would have been more financially successful. But oh yeah, the integrity, like the, the respect factor that you get from the rest of us. I'm not saying it should mean everything, but it got to mean something. Well, this is what I care about. 
You know, it, it like I could go work at a gas station and be fine. Like I could have. You'd a, make more money at a gas station. I'd have so much more free life. Yeah. Um, but I love I love this. But but you, with again back to that show. Um, I'd given up. I was like, I don't have a show next month. Um, maybe I should just close. And then Jeremy, behind my back, had organized all these artists to do a, like a support hyena anti censorship show. Yeah, it's awesome. And like sprung it on me and that that love kept me going and i i I don't think i would have kept going if it wasn't for that no way no i'm I'm serious i was so done you were smid right now just because no 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 i was so betrayal hits me harder than anything i mean that's fair because it was brutal like i was like i I just couldn't believe it it was really brutal it was people i loved that were like the amount of publicity that they tried (laughs) to generate against you was Horrendous. But it all it all backfired. It all failed. It all backfired. It ended up making me look really good. Yeah. For doing this stupid show with an outsider artist I loved, that uh, it, we had maybe ten pieces ten pieces in the show, so ten people cared about it, who bought the pieces. The rest of America didn't care. All right. So we we, we were going from where you were to where you are. Yes. And that was a speed bump. That was a pivotal pivotal moment, though. Okay, okay, so more than a speed like, bump. It was, a, it was a fucking 90 degree turn. What happened after that? Uh, then I became fearless. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to show whatever. We did, we did a, uh, a show based on, like every year we did an anti-censorship show. Oh, that's after right, that. yeah. And it was just like, do the worst thing you can possibly imagine. Chris Sat made t-shirts <laughs> for one of them. Yes. Fight censorship. Yes. I, I still have it. It doesn't fit me anymore. Uh, Jim Wart did a piece. That he insisted be uh, covered in brown paper. Was that the one with the giant splayed out vagina? No, no, no. I actually saw it before he covered it, and it was it was pretty terrible. And the customer who bought it said, I'm never going to open this. I just know it's the worst thing ever inside this paper. What That's was right. it? <laughs> you have to say. I can't tell you. Oh, my God. You're not going to say. I'll tell you later, maybe. Oh, secrets! So no, because if the owner won't reveal it, then I right. can't. You, you don't want yeah, to burst their. You don't want them yeah. to know. That's fair. That's fair. But Are they off yeah. chance that. He's but it, one it of the was pictures. one of them. Do you the... know? Do you do you still have contact with the person who bought that piece? Oh yes, and they still haven't opened. They it. still haven't opened it. All right, then I don't ever want to know either. Okay, in it, that case. it's pretty amazing though because I saw it and was like, oh, oh God, like, <laughs> oh, he's like, don't worry, I'm going to cover it in paper. Like it's, <laughs> I'm like, it's I'm worse. Like, I, are you sure? Like, <laughs> like I can't imagine it's worse than the swastika butthole in the bathroom. Oh, have you seen what's on the reverse of that? No. Uh, that is the Prophet Muhammad showing his lovely tits and pussy. Holy wow. shit! It's a secret drawing in the back of in in our the hyena bathroom is a secret art gallery, dude. The, and I have a beautiful painting of unreal. Adolf Hitler naked, bending over, showing his butt, and his butthole is a swastika. It's and, so gross. And it's painted. Too well, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> exactly. It's painted fucking too well. And on the reverse is a cartoon drawing of the Prophet Muhammad. Oh, um, yeah, the hyena bathroom here is fantastic. <laughs> it's it Jim Wart piece, though. I think if if you do uncover it, it will um, melt Nazis' faces off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it, it was something I was like, I I don't know if I want to show that. Like, so it's a which, which, I never have that response. I was like, <laughs> oh man, like. Why did you do that? Like, <laughs> I love Jim. Yeah. I, miss, I miss Jim. I haven't seen Jim in a no, so he, He's one of the few artists that made me like take a step back. 
his brutality and his honesty is, is pretty unreal. There's actually a funny fact. There's a gym work piece hanging in the bathroom of the fourth horseman. Oh, awesome. Which one? Uh, it's the one that's the guy holding the bottle of Jack Daniels that says, um, what is it? I've been a paraphrase, but it's like, um, thanks to you, I don't beat the kids anymore. <laughs> yes. From coloring book land. Oh, yes, wow. Yes. Yes. And the original painting I screwed into the bathroom. That's of, awesome. Uh, of fourth horseman. <laughs> but yeah, so from, from there, I mean, I don't know. I, at this point, I just kind of show what I like, and uh, I'm real mellow about it. I, like the last two years, I've, I've had such a a relaxed attitude towards the gallery. I just want to show fun stuff and really highlight new artists again. And you've like, started showing other stuff too, right? Like, yeah. so, like your your uh, your found art collection has really taken on a life of its own. Well, I realized I realized I've been showing a lot of because I, I tend to show the artists I, I like. And my friends. So I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm giving so much airtime to all the same people. I don't want people to get bored with this. So I started mixing it up. And I'm a huge uh, fan, th thanks to Brian especially, of of like uh, picking. Like going into like estate sales and finding stuff and finding forgotten art. I love forgotten art. And finding these artists who have passed away who leave this weird legacy that their family has no idea how to handle. Because it's odd art. You found some magic. Oh, I, I love it. So I, I've been sneaking a lot more of that into the gallery shows. Give me an example of like your favorite pick piece. Oh, God. Right now. See, I, I would say it's uh, the Geraldine uh, Boano stuff, which is actually behind the, you. The assemblage stuff. The assemblage stuff. Like yeah. When we walked into her house, um, her, her estate sale, it was, it was two blocks behind where I live. And I'm so pissed off I didn't meet this woman because I, I think we would have hit it off. Was she the one that was deceased? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, but she had maybe 30, 30 massive art pieces, assemblage pieces, uh, all with similar motifs and all just gorgeous. And I could only save five of them. And I'm actually sad I couldn't save more. Um, but nobody else has bought them, so I still have all five here. Because <laughs> <Like, laughs> it's just magic to me, maybe. But, but man, something about her art just touched me. And no, they're it, they're bizarre on a level that is incredibly intriguing. But really like well the thought. The fact that nobody knew really who well she thought was, through. And yeah, the, and she, was she was a school as teacher. As she was, she was a school teacher. Um, she made jewelry, and that stuff was terrible. It was like beadwork and nothing I care about. But in her garage, she was making these massive assemblage pieces, that, like creating like tables with gold leafing and taxidermy and skeletons of birds and skulls and they were just gorgeous and uh, like her whole heart like, you remember her house it was all artistic actually I'd, you were on your own on that oh, one. shit I yeah you were. I, I sorry I, I missed out on that one man it, it was magic to me because every room had a motif like she had a monkey room she had oh, a what? whole monkey room <laughs> and it was all like weird monkey art like oh my grass god how monkeys. did you not take home the whole I, room I, I got a lot of it <laughs> where is it uh, I sold some I kept some like, all, all this stuff, like, when I find an artist, like, half of it comes to me, half of it comes to the store. Because that's yeah. the only way I can justify it. You're selfish. <laughs> <laughs> I would take it all if I could I afford it. But I gotta, if I sell some, then I can afford the pieces I kept kind of thing. Because I'm still a massive collector. I love all this shit. Yeah. All right. So, I feel like we're current. <laughs> We've passed 14 years of history of Hyena Gallery. 
in, in a flash. In a flash, like really fast. I mean, it's probably not. We've probably been recording. I mean, for there were like a few hours. other highlights. I don't know if you want to touch on. Uh, we did a show with John Carpenter, and we did the show with Wes Craven. And I feel like those are definitely Stuart Gordon. We're touching on because oh. they were here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You've had a long history. Of I, I won't. I don't want to do a show with people. someone who can't be here. Like a tribute show to Guillermo de Toro. I want him here. Like the only one that failed was Toby Hooper. We we had it in the bag. Like Toby, Toby will be here. We're all set. He approves of the show. Like I always get permission from who I want to do a tribute show to, and then try to work with them. Like bring them in whatever comfort level they have. We'll work with it. And Toby, up until two days before the show, was 100% going to be here, and then he changed his mind. So let's talk about the ones that were successes. Well, how, <laughs> well Toby, Toby is like, like, it was kind of my white whale. Like, I, I really wanted him here, and it was so accessible. Uh, one of my friends was his, like, best friend, uh, Dan Madigan. I don't know if you know Dan, but Dan Dan worked with Toby. He was a friend. He was like, oh, no, Bill, we got it, we got it. And then Toby changed his mind. Yeah. I think but like, the show is still great. <laughs> you you being where Hyena is too probably helps facilitate that kind of thing too because you guys are like Your right down the friendly. street. Yeah. Oh, right down the street. But also, I I approach this shit uh, like when when I want to do a show with somebody like like some major director again like John Carpenter. We got John Carpenter here. We got Wes Craven here. Brian, tell me about the John Carpenter show. <laughs> the John Carpenter show was was insane. Um, Bill and I the night before went to see Motorhead. And I think it was louder in here than the Motorhead show. Holy shit. It, it was just, there was nothing to suck up uh -huh. the noise. And everybody was so excited. And it wasn't like a convention atmosphere. It was kind of more a party atmosphere. Because John was here. Yeah, he yeah. was here. And oh, he yeah. was really cool. He And he had very loose rules that he wanted. He wanted a place to go out back to smoke. And he also wanted Fair. to be able to just slip out unannounced and just leave when, when he was done. Yeah. And um, and he wanted um, some Coca Cola. Yeah, yeah, it, it was so like easy. Actual, so easy. actual soda pop. I right? think we, yeah. I think we got okay. him the good the good Mexican cokes. I mean, yeah, I, with I mean, real sugar. It's not a euphemism, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Like yeah. he, he wasn't lining out in the. Uh, no. in the he, would, he, he came an hour before the show because he wanted to see the art, and he was just tickled. He he was like, well, I can't believe you guys did this for uh, for me. Like this is. He was super charmed. Yeah. That's he, adorable. He, tickled is the only word I can think of. Like he was tickled. He was like kind of like chuckling as he's like, "Oh my god, like people care about my work this much." How does he not know? He knows, but I don't think anyone ever ever said it to him that that sincerely. Or in in that way for sure. Yeah, cuz everything yeah. everything with that is sincere with me. Like you're sitting there like you're talking about people painting their depictions of their emotions reflecting on your art. Yeah. Essentially. That's pretty deep. Yeah, there. Every artist is saying, "You've influenced me." Yeah, here's a little. I love here's you a little because... like thank you. Yeah, and I don't know. Like we've gotten away with it and pulled off some weird stunts that <laughs> shouldn't have worked. Um, so John Carpenter, Toby Hooper didn't quite work out. No, Stuart Gordon was amazing. He was great. Wes Craven was beyond. Like that guy would have come and like cleaned the bathroom for me. If I'd asked him to, he, he was just so encouraging and happy and supportive. Wow. I wish he would have cleaned the bathroom. Yeah, right? <laughs> Somebody it's, should. It's no, no, it's no but like, if anyone ever says a bad word about Wes Craven, you should punch him in the face because they're lying. Like that dude just cares about art and cared about like supporting. So give me art. an example. Like, like tell me about the approach and the reception. Well, 
Well, um, Nick Caesar and Skip Crank. Skip Crank is a prop guy. Right. And an artist we show here. But Skip had worked on a lot of Wes Craven Oh, did films. this come from the Scream 3 thing? Scream 4. Scream 4, sorry. So, so Skip was like, hey, Wes, I have this art gallery I like. Why don't we put a bunch of their art in the next movie? And Wes was like, okay. So we, we did a Scream 4 show. And that was the barn scene. The barn. It was like the scream fest or stab fest. Stab fest. And it was the, it was a barn scene. Yeah. And all the art in it was from here. All of it was from here. Okay. And then Wes was like, "You guys, like that was so cool of you to like, give us that art. Sell it. We'll promote it." And Wes helped promote the show, and we had a big like stab four show. And he also gave us a bunch of props. Skip, Skip, and Wes gave us a bunch of stuff. Wes signed a bunch of stuff. And it was just rad. Like, it was a great night. Wes didn't come to that one, but then we booked a tribute show to him a few months later, which he came to. And then the next month was John Carpenter. Like, it was it was a crazy year. 2014 was awesome. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I think recently you did the Troma show. Yeah, yeah. Well, Lloyd, Lloyd a, has been a hero of mine yeah. forever. Like, Who doesn't love Troma? Yeah. Like, I don't think I would have the courage to do Hyena if it wasn't for Troma. Yeah, I mean, like, they're a big inspiration for me as well. So. Yeah, as they should be. Yeah, <laughs> and, and Lloyd was great, man. What what a good dude. Yeah, yeah, remarkable. And I I'm a huge fan. I I grew up in New Jersey, so for me, mm. Toxic Avenger having a hero from New Jersey was was everything. And uh, even if it was Toxic, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll take Toxic. Sure. Yeah, it, it's just he he he's so down to earth, and um, he makes movies the way bill runs an art gallery it is so by the true. seat of that the pants. that is so fair oh it my is, god yes, totally, we talked about that it is totally by the seat of the pants and and you know it's like we do shit we don't know if it's going to work but we hope it does that's the most like, legit comparison i could think of right now no, yeah no. we just don't ask the artist to sleep on the floor and yeah. eat, eat old top ramen um i totally slept on <laughs> the or to do all here. the work <laughs> like, like, like hey you hang the show <laughs> Also, I've hung a show here. So, <laughs> well, you insisted. Or, or, yeah. or pass around a bucket to shit in. But, yeah. Um... yeah, there's that. <laughs> I've not shit here. That's no. fair. Oh, weird. I have. Well, I'm sure you have. <laughs> not I still have never I've done other here. horrible things in this gallery, but we won't talk <laughs> oh about Oh, my those. God, yes. <laughs> no, but, but Lloyd, Lloyd uh, it, it was weird because I was actually, he was the most nervous for me to approach because he was such a hero of mine. Like, I wouldn't have had the courage to open this gallery if it wasn't for someone like Lloyd Kaufman. I met like, Lloyd after you did the show with him at uh, Long Beach Comic Con. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd met him before, but I met him there, and, and I was like, hey, you did a show with Hyena Gallery, and, like, that's that's my home away from home, and, and he gushed, ignoring, oh. ignoring a throng <laughs> of people. Like I expected, like a moment of recognition and appreciation, and just like thanks, moving on. But he ignored a throng of people to gush about how much he loved Hyena Gallery. L- Lloyd bought us lunch. Like <laughs> I don't know if that's significant to yeah, many was, people. That but was it, kind of surreal. Kind Sitting of on the beach awesome. eating. He doesn't cheese. buy many people lunch. <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't think he's bought many people lunch. <laughs> I, I love the man. Like, um, and and we, I, I I can still call him to this day and be like, hey, what's up? Like, that's awesome. Yeah, cool. yeah. So. What's next? Oh, man. So, the future. You know, I, everything is really, like, I've actually postponed all my shows for the rest of the year right now until I know what the fuck's going on. I feel on. like you're not alone there. Like, I could, Shit's you, weird. You guys are doing virtual shows, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'm so low tech. 
<laughs> like, like if I did that, I'm like, oh, man, that's, that's just me doing a lot of work. Yeah, we have to get a head cleaner for the Betamax in yes. order to be able to shoot it. But but Whatever I, I kind of these are. I kind of love. <laughs> I love people There's like coming disc. into coming in to see the art, so I don't want to do virtual unless I really, really have to. Because um, I I crave that interaction with the customer, um, and just like even someone who just wants to look at the art, I, I love talking to them about it. Like that that's a big part of what makes me happy here. Well, so yeah, I don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah, I mean, we <laughs> did, well, we did that Facebook Live opening. Hmm. Um, which was very successful and actually the response was way more than we thought it would be honestly like we, we expected a few that's, that's fantastic but it was huge um, and so maybe maybe that it was it was really cool to be able to converse with the customer mm-hmm. and the people that are interested in art live in the moment yeah, in the moment about each piece so maybe maybe try it I don't know oh like, I probably will if it gets too long like, I mean I'm gonna yeah. have to there's, yeah. but, there, but there's I, something else. I always feel like I'm, I'm ripping off the artist if I don't get a, enough people in to see their art when it's on the wall, well, too. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's just you know, not possible it, it's tough. Right now. No. No, of course it's not. Yeah. But uh, And that's why like we're just trying to figure out ways around that. And art is always so different to experience in person rather than in a photograph or in a print or, or anything. It's always. it's always, it always looks better in person. It almost yeah. it, there's it almost never shitty art. yeah there's almost never an instance where art <laughs> but I, doesn't but look I also in want that interaction I want the people in here and I want to talk to them no the human element is everything yeah so some guy was riffing on me because I don't have a, a shopping cart on my website I'm like no because I like talking to people like I mean <laughs> like, to be fair I feel like you could use a shopping cart but but it I, I'm so old school man like I really want to talk to someone who cares about what I'm doing again. This goes right back to those early values. <laughs> like, nobody said it was smart. Stupidly stubborn. But your integrity. Uh. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm the complete opposite. Like, I I never wanted to email. Like, I'm a collector, and I've never wanted to email outside of you, but I know you. <laughs> but I, I've never wanted to email the gallery and say, hey, I'm interested in this piece and have this big dissertation. I want this. Bye. Like, that's how see, I, I come I, from I it. think this goes back to my metal, my metalhead years. Like... Like high school and, and like loving heavy metal and having no outlet to f- connect with people, so you find you find someone who likes the same band you do and you're like fuck yeah man like let's talk let's hang like you bro down yeah yeah but even if it, like it was through letters back then like you're writing a metal blade and you like talk to somebody at metal blade like oh fuck you you're supporting this stuff this is what I love and you end up having a relationship with these people. Through through a weird mail order correspondence through through jail yeah. like you don't even know if they like you but you know you're buying like forty fives of Raven from them and like, <laughs> like so they're like this, we got a sucker on the line let's All keep right. talking to him so let's talk about the three sixty from that which is social media mm-hmm. so you have letters from this you have a very interesting take on how you approach social media <laughs> and I actually love the shit out of it and I think it's brilliant tell me about destroy the day. Oh, destroy the day. Um, that was a concept I had one day where I, I realized, like, every day is important. Like, it, it, after the house fire, when we had nothing, and, like, after my, my injury and my wrist, and, like, you realize every day is kind of important. And if you waste your day, like the, like uh, Jim Morrison said, um, I tell you this, no eternal reward, reward will forgive us now, now for, for wasting, wasting the day. The wasting the dawn, yes. Um, that That's kind of where it stemmed from that sentiment is 
well, fuck, we got to do something. Every day we have to do something. And the least amount of effort you can do is learn something new. So every day I, I try to learn something I didn't know and revisit or like learn about a story. And my interests are fucked up. <laughs> like, no shit. <laughs> like, I like true crime. <laughs> I like conspiracy. I like murder. I like uh, hoaxes. So cults. This, cults, yeah. It's everything I, I think is really interesting. Um, so every every day on Instagram, I do a post called Destroy the Day where I highlight um, a story. Um, a lot of it's true crime. Like, a lot of it's true crime. And it's just something I think is interesting. Sometimes I, like, I'll go through a week where I'll just cover surrealist art because I think these artists are important. Nobody talks about them. But it, it's just whatever's on my mind that morning that I'm reading about and I share it with the world. And maybe like 50 people care. <laughs> oh, no, we get we get loads of feedback when we're at Monster Palooza. People come up all the time and they ask about them. Like, well, that's the guy, you know. <laughs> and, I feel like yeah, a lot more know. than fifty people care. Well, fifty people like. like yeah, but there's like, it, like, 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 like. It's weird measuring like your value in likes. Yeah, yeah. it's it's dumb. Um, well, it also requires a bit of reading, and yeah. that yeah. that slows down some people a little bit. And, and I find if I just post a gruesome photo, it'll get like three hundred likes. But the story, but nobody reads the story. Two, and three, part four, two, yeah, like twenty. Well, see, that's like, what I think is genius about what you do, though. <laughs> like, is you do them in like four, five, six episode tangents, and like you, you have to follow your feed in order to see all of it. Well, I, I always think people who care should be rewarded. So if you if you're lazy, you're not going to get the full story. If you actually care, you're going to get. A full story that I actually spent like two hours on this morning. Like you research the fuck out of this stuff. Yeah. And you, you, you tell a very in-depth tale. And people like, well, people will criticize me. Like, well, it's just a Wikipedia entry. I'm like, yeah, but I fucking spent two hours editing it so you could read it. Like, right. Like I, I don't do a lot of original writing anymore. When I first started it, I would always write it. And I found out like people didn't care. And I could get the same amount of information out there by just taking some, some stories that other people have written and kind of editing them together. So I'll I usually take like at least three sources and edit them into something that's readable. And it's helped, it's helped my editing like forever. It actually helps my writing too, because I, I do like writing. But I don't always have time to write a good story. Well, I love them. I read them. <laughs> I, and, and, and sometimes I regret reading them. Oh, yeah, you should. Like like, like today, for instance. <laughs> today's, I mean, today's was particularly brutal. It was the story of the uh, 13-year-old kid who brutally oh. murdered the 4-year-old kid. I, I got to tell you, I have such... I, I'm, a, I'm a terrible person. And I have no. such a, a perverse glee when I do child murder. Oh, my God. Like, I... Dude! When he does I, writing about them. Right, writing... Not when I actually do it. When I do it, I'm really solemn. Edit, edit, edit. <laughs> but, but like when I when I I'm like I'm posting a child murder. I know people are going to be like hating me for this, but they they hate it to the point where they can't stop reading, and that cracks me up. Well, he was telling me the because I always I always get hate mail on on child murder. Yeah. It's like oh, why I'm are you sure. posting stuff like like why are you reading this? Because you it's just a true by. story. It's a true it's, story. It happens, and it's it's insane to me. It is insane, like, especially this one. This one's the wor- one of the worst. Because it's a 13-year-old <laughs> kid that murders a 4-year-old kid by shoving sticks up his ass. Yeah, well, he, he had already killed him Brutal. by that point. Oh, he, I, I thought he died from the sticks. No, no, he, he did that to ensure he was dead so he wouldn't tell on him. <sighs> the yeah. details do uh, not help, really. No, no. 
<laughs> like I'm, I'm when I when I I showered there, after I read episode four. When I put these out there, I'm cringing probably more than most people who are reading it. Like I'm not a terrible. Person. Here's here's the thing, but what I would love to see, based on everything I know about you and your passion, I would love to see you host an anthology TV series. <laughs> That I wouldn't watch. <laughs> I wouldn't watch it. I don't want to in see me. In search of. Oh, in search. I would do an in search of. Like that. That was my bread and butter growing up. What's that? Leonard Nimoy. I don't. I don't remember this. In search of. Oh. I don't know this. How do you not? How, I don't know. How it. old are I'm you? Sorry. I'm forty-three. I've got like five years on you. Fuck you. And you I'm don't sorry. know in search of. Do you know in search of? It sounds familiar, but I don't. He's I'm, five years younger oh than me. Oh my god. This this was like what started me on my path to insanity. All right, it, it was it was every it was Leonard Nimoy hosting. I think Carl Sagan had an involvement in it, but it was every week you got a story from Leonard Nimoy talking about like Bigfoot. Here's the search for Bigfoot. here's the search for Atlantis. Here's it the was Loch Ness Leonard monster Nimoy from Star Leonard Trek. Nimoy hosting this really well produced. I really hope this is on YouTube. Oh my God! It'd be I, like the story of the pyramids, or a conspiracy theory, or uh, yeah, I mean it. The, it, the it, Knights it, Templar. Yeah, they were like, pretty broad, but um, but they were informative. That's fine. Right. Can you comprehend someone not knowing this exists? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean this. This, just, this is yeah, also it's... the basis of the story of the day. This is where it all comes from for me. The, the, I mean, this this was like my mind being blown as a kid. You're just staring at me with blank yeah, it was faces. Like, Sorry, man. It was like, oh, <laughs> like oh, I don't have a reference point like a direct, for this. Almost like a direct tie into some of those Time Life books. Yeah, you know, oh, it had, it had, it had that feel or, to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember it, those. I'm weekly, sorry. In a weekly TV show. And okay. It, it, it was fucking brilliant. It, it was so good. And it, it was everything. Was this cool. early '80s? Yeah, it probably would have been late 70, '70s. Late '70s, into early the, '80s. Okay, so I was three. All right, that makes sense. Oh. You must have been so cute. I was. <laughs> Little chubby Jeremy. <laughs> I mean, not much has changed. I picture the beard being the same. God the voice him. was the same. Oh, the gargling razor blades. Give me some whiskey, one. mom. <laughs> All right, so this is degenerated into bullshit. Oh, so. <laughs> I, I seriously can't believe you guys have no reference point for this. No, but I want to watch it now. You just make me feel insanely old. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you take out the old. No, in search it's, of, it's in search watching, of yeah. was so important to me. All right, all like, right. Like they they had novelizations based on like the shows. Like, oh man, there's probably some on the shelf here. Probably. <laughs> you have so many books in here. Yeah. No. Yeah. Should we talk <laughs> about the books? Well, I love books. Um, because like, the books have taken over. I haven't taken. I, I just rearranged the store so you can see them better. All right. But like maybe two years ago, I thought it would be funny to have a book section, and I started with a cookbook section. The Dolly. Dolly, um, the Ted Nugent, kill it and grill it cookbook. There's a Ted Nugent. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't cook, but I've always had an obsession with cookbooks. Why? I don't know. What is it about them? Um, because my mom would cook like the most terrible recipes out of cookbooks. Like like tuna jello molds. Yeah, like like cream of mushroom soup and rice and yeah, I feel like that was a staple of my house. Yeah, yeah. and and but she always used a cookbook to make the worst shit ever. Like my mom was a terrible cook. Like why do you need a recipe for that? Madness? Yeah, you could have just put together eight <laughs> things in your fridge, and I would have had a much less miserable time. Right, <laughs> eating this crap. 
Um, I, I've told my mom to her face I hated her cooking, so this isn't like a revelation. I'm not cheating on my mom or something. Your mom's adorable. She she is wonderful, but she's a terrible cook. She makes good cookies. She makes great. She's a good baker, terrible cook. Having spoken to your mother on the phone on numerous occasions, <laughs> sweet sweet woman that I adore. Oh, that's phone sex. Yep. Uh. Oh God. <laughs> I, I you know what? To her credit, I always finish. She never breaks character. I know. <laughs> Do you call collect? <laughs> I mean, I collect it somewhere. No, but but I, I've because of that. I, I think cookbooks have stuck in my head as the weirdest kind of book ever. It is a weird kind of book because they also are are like they go out of style. Yeah. So like something you're eating now, you're not going to eat in four years. It, it, it's just so weird. The to tuna me. mold is a great example. Oh, yeah. yeah. Some of it. Some of it is goes in cycles. Like you will see. Um, I don't know, like fondue had a little bit of a comeback. <laughs> well, it's like, but like you look fashion, at, cyclical, yeah. yeah. But if you look at some of the photos in some of the vintage cookbooks, for, say from the late 60s, early 70s, this stuff does not look appetizing at all. It, it looks like green dog food or, or something. Yeah, there's some really horrifying stuff in some of those books. So, yeah, it, it ties in. It's kind of uh, dark food art. <laughs> yes, dark Food art. So, so, if you look around, all these bookshelves started because I wanted to have a cookbook section in it's the store. Amazing. Because I thought it would be hysterical to have a cookbook section in an art gallery. But I'm like, well, I can't have that without having other books to make that make sense. So I started bringing like ev- everything I care about. So it's I have sections of sexuality, sections of Occultism, like circus, uh, witchcraft, witchcraft, um, true crime, astrology, a great, a great music section, um, a signed book section, which Brian hates. You don't like signed books? Oh, I love signed books, but I just think that having a section just for the signed books rather than the genre. No, just they belong they belong in the genre. No one, you know, is looking for a science fiction book in the signed books section. But it's oh, funny. It's a it's, like a, it's it. a point where you guys argue it's yeah. Cute. yeah, it drives me insane. It, it cracks me up. Well, yeah. They should be categorized, not just yeah. signed. But have a good like classic dark literature. And he section. makes me sign all of them. <laughs> he, he actually he actually forged um, um, Stephen Hawking. I do a really good Stephen Hawking. <laughs> 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 he does the voice <laughs> Stephen Hawking while well, he's doing it too. It's terrible. All right, um, I'm going to tie this up. I'm going to tie this up real quick because we're we're ridiculous. Let's be honest. Well, hyena is partially ridiculous. Yes. I think. No, that's what's amazing about you. Is you you take it very seriously inside your hearts. Well, this this but is all surface, important. It's all very important to me. But on the surface, it's madness. <laughs> well, yes, but life life is madness. Ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so literally, not not in the figurative ethereal mm-hmm. sense, but literally, what is next? What's the next show? The next step? What's the next thing you were doing that we could promote? Well, the next show uh, I've been postponing uh, because of the pandemic is the New Alchemy. Uh, it's just a good dark art show. I asked. I asked. Uh, well, I, I think that the original art was the original spells. Cave paintings were were manifestations. They, it was uh, the artist willing things to happen, willing the hunt, willing the rains. So I, I always think like magic start started with cave paintings. It's the artist trying to manifest what they want in life. So the new alchemy, I was trying to take that concept and bring it to a modern twist and ask the artist to like, just just give me good art that'll show 
the next step for you? The next step in their own personal evolution? Or or, or in what they want to see happen or... in the world or whatever. It, it's really personal to the artist. And I've gotten great art in with it. I, I actually feel terrible. I haven't shown it to the world yet. But we're kind of waiting for... Like, so want... you have all the art for the show? I, I, I do. And I've actually increased the show since we've postponed it. I've invited more, more artists um, for our limited space. So you're waiting until the pandemic is lifted to show it? I'm waiting for some kind of clarity as to when it's right. If that makes any sense at all. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. All right. So last comment on the pandemic. How do you have the last name that is a plague in this day and age? <laughs> Brian Bubonic. I've, I've had... Um, some people comment, I sent mail to a friend of mine in Philadelphia, kind of at the beginning of it. And he said, uh, I can't believe I just recite, received a package from Plague Productions, Brian Bubonic. And the mailman was all right with that. And it was kind of like, I'm sure he wore fucking gloves. It it was in a, in a tube. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. Where did that come from, man? We all know that's not your real last name, so you don't have to tell us. Yeah. When, when I was, when I was a teenager, um, in 1979, I had a fictitious punk rock band called Brian Bubonic and the Plague. And oh, that's adorable. It was. Um, that's actually a really good name. My yeah. my brother and I we made little uh, Super Eight. Actually, we started with regular eight millimeter, and then we made Super Eight millimeter films. And Brian Bubonic and the Plague were a band who destroyed all their instruments in concert. And then we made a movie about them on search for new equipment. Did that you ever they, record they had, music? Um, we did, actually. <laughs> okay. Um, there I is, didn't expect that. <laughs> we, we recorded, me and my friend Mickey, as a two-piece, we recorded in his garage. And um, basically, I played a Wurlitzer organ and sang songs that I wrote. And uh, my brother wrote a few of them as well. And Mickey would... I wonder uh, what's in your butthole. <laughs> <laughs> Is it astronauts? Aliens? <laughs> um, Mickey would occasionally play guitar, and his job was, it, it was a fake live album. So he was taking an LP of a Steve Martin live in concert record and just putting the needle down on the audience applause. Lifting, awesome. lifting the needle off and putting the needle back down on the audience applause. So, good. so it's like he was creating a loop and we had no idea what we were doing. Yeah. And I had no idea how to play the Wurlitzer organ. Early. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and the songs were kind of like Wesley Willis. So we were kind of looking back now, we were crossed between Wesley Willis and Suicide because we had a keyboard we had no idea how to operate but if we could make it make a fart noise or do something weird it was like oh that's cool i feel like the time has come for this to be released uh i mm-hmm. i have a feeling it along with your personal photos of you as serial killers yes. <laughs> oh my god yes please i have a feeling the music wouldn't hold up very well um you could use them as single covers i'm just saying the themes the themes were about um skylab crashing to earth um, Still relevant. Looking out your window and finding three dead horses on your front lawn. That, Insanely relevant. That was one of the songs. That sounds beautiful. Um, there was a song about a pair of uh, Crouch. I had a Croucho Marx eyeglasses with the fake nose. Yeah. But the nose fell off. And I used to like to wear just the so glasses. So just the glasses? Yeah. And so I wrote a, a, um, uh, a song called Hairy Eyeglasses. 
that was about those. So yeah, it was like the, the songs. Yeah, they don't. I don't think anyone wants to hear them. And we no, recorded no, direct to. We recorded. We recorded direct to eight track tape, <laughs> not oh. eight track like eight like track, but an eight track kachunk kachunk tape. So. Yeah, I don't know. There's it's somewhere there. the master is floating around. All right, you total plague fucker. <laughs> Brian, thank you so much for being on here today. Sure, thank yeah. you guys for coming Brian here. Brian Babonic, round of applause. Thank you. Yeah. Bill Schaefer. What? You are you are the godfather, man. <laughs> I know you don't feel like it, but like uh, without you, yeah. I don't exist. Yeah, without uh, you, we wouldn't be sitting here. That's so like, strange. But now we're sitting here doing an interview with you, and it feels surreal as fuck because you were the birth of everything. But we're all doing what we love. Yes. I mean, like, that's true. That That's all that matters. Like, we, we need to do this. But I'm still going to virtually suck your dick. That's yeah. fine. I didn't think you'd complain. I mean, More even tongue. though you told me not to do it, I still did it, and it's because you did it. Oh, my God. I, I thought it was you the were worst warned. idea ever. Yeah. Like you said yeah. that in your first podcast. I, I was dying. I'm like, did you listen? Yes. And you're like, he said, don't do it. <laughs> it is true. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. I'm that like, was the first thing out of your mouth. Still the same advice I would have. It for was him. the second dumbest thing he did. The first dumbest was bringing me on board to help him. Yeah, I would have warned you again if I knew. <laughs> well, I didn't know him. At I had the time. no idea this yeah. guy would like slither in. Mm. <laughs> That's what I did. No, but it, it, it's still my advice for anyone. Like, don't do it. Like, it's quit it's, now while you're ahead. It's so much sacrifice and and so much, uh, like God, non accolades. I guess I don't know. Like, it, I feel it, like you've had your fair share of accolades, not you, not as many as you deserve. But, but it's weird. It's one of those. But things when you're you trying to pay do, when you're trying you know? to pay rent, like those that applause means nothing. It, the like the likes on your Facebook don't mean shit. Yeah. It's like five bucks in your till helps a lot. Yeah. But, but I, I, I would I'll, still do this. I'll say Regardless. this, until the day that I stop doing art, stop producing art, stop showing art, stop being in the art community, is the only day that I will ever stop touting how important you were to that journey. I just hope you get really famous and give me a kickback. Yeah, like, okay, that's fair. Like 10 bucks. Like, come on, man. <laughs> 10 bucks? <laughs> I got like, 10 bucks like, for you. Like, <laughs> like, I'll slobber out it for you. We can all go down this. No, no, I, I really just hope everyone who's kind of passed through these doors does great things. You know what, man? So many people who have passed through these doors have done great things. And because of these doors, not just because they passed through them, but because of you. And that's valuable. Don't cut yourself short. I know it's hard for you to accept applause well, no, and appraise. It, it, but... It's what I care about. Like I, I want the people who who've worked with me to do well, and that, that's all I've ever cared about. Well, some of them have. Huh? And we have you to thank. <laughs> and then there's you guys. And then we're here. <laughs> and then us dumbasses. All right, guys. Thanks for being on on, on the art pit with the, us. The art pit. The art pit. <laughs> <laughs> We've been drinking a little. <laughs> That's the new fetish. That's fine. <laughs> Thanks for being on the art pit. Bill Schaefer, Hyena Gallery. Woohoo! Support them. Support Brian them. Brian Bubonic. Oh. Buy some stuff, please. <laughs> please buy some stuff from Hyena. <laughs> no, seriously, just to clear space. <laughs> no, no, buy stuff from every small business. Small businesses need folks yeah, right now. Yeah. They need yeah. support. And uh, if you love a place, support them because they're not going to be around in two months if, if you, you don't. don't. Yeah, true. Thanks, you guys.